Thank you for tuning in to the Remodel Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and encourages your daily life. It had been a crazy, crazy 10 or 11 days for these men. The craziest days of their life. The most eventful days of their life. But it didn't start just 10 days ago. It actually started about three years ago. The very first time Jesus ever shows up with Peter. Peter has been fishing. That's what he did by trade. That's who he was as a man. He was a fisherman. He had been fishing all night long. He had absolutely no success at all. Anybody ever been in that boat? Not me. I always catch fish. Kidding. Anyways, he had been fishing all night long, did not catch a thing. Jesus shows up with a crowd following him. The crowd is wanting to hear from Jesus. So Jesus comes to Peter. Peter is tired because, after all, he had been up all night long. And Jesus says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? This is like the perfect vantage point for me to get up and project my voice for this whole crowd to be able to hear. Can I borrow your boat? Peter says, sure. So Peter pushes off and Jesus begins to teach his message and and hundreds if not thousands of people are listening and are in awe of what Jesus has to say. And then after the message and once everybody begins, uh, begins to go home, Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, where are your fish? Peter says, dude, there are no fish in this sea. They're all gone. I don't know where they went, but they're not here. Jesus says, just just cast your nets over to that other side. He says, dude, I've already done this. I've been here all night. There's no fish. But then Peter says, but if you say so, if you say so, I'll do it. So Peter throws out his nets. And as he throws out his nets, man, the, the, the Bible says that fish just like are consumed or just jump into the net. And as they begin to pull, pull up the net, they can't handle the weight. It's going to sink their boat. So they call other boats and other boats come and they all, they're, all share in this, in this harvest of fish and this catch. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Follow me. Leave everything behind and follow me. And Peter instantly does. And for three years, Peter and 11 other men walked around with Jesus, heard words of wisdom that nobody else had ever heard, saw him do things like spit on the ground, make mud, rub it on a blind man's eyes, and now all of a sudden, he can see. It's incredible. Hey, we're going to have a healing service after service, or yeah, after service tonight, and we're going to stand out there, and I'm going to spit onto the ground, and we're going to make mud, and wherever you're sick, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to put it on you. If you got a fever blister on your lip, well, praise Jesus, I'll just rub it all over you. So Jesus did crazy stuff like this, and and the disciples, Peter and 11 other men, walked with him and saw him do this. Man, they were with him as as he went to a tomb where Lazarus was and was dead. And Jesus stands out and says, Lazarus, come forth. And this man comes out that was already dead for four days, wrapped and bound in in cloths like a mummy, and he starts to walk out. They'd been with him and seen all of these things. But the craziness really, really started one day when Jesus says, you know what? I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to Jerusalem. 
And the disciples say, why do you want to go there? Jesus, don't you remember the last time you were there, they wanted to stone you? They wanted to kill you? Why would you want to go back to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, it's necessary for me to go. And see, so it was Passover time. So everyone that was a Jew, didn't matter if you were in Jerusalem or far away, hundreds of miles away or even thousands of miles away, if you were a good Jewish family, what you did is you traveled back to Jerusalem for these days to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate the time that God made the angel of death pass over your family. So everyone is traveling back and they know that because everyone, as far as Jewish people, because all of the Jewish people are coming back to this one city and it's going to be congested and overcrowded and they know there's not going to be any hotels, there's not going to be any motels, no super eights, no even roach hotels that have any any availability at all so what they do is on their way there they 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 snap every little palm branch that they can and that's what that's going to be their their little tent because see that walmart didn't exist at that time and there were no ozark pop-up tents so they thought well till sam walton invents something well we're going to go ahead and, and just we're going to pop off these palm branches and that's how what they were going to make their uh, their uh, makeshift tents and makeshift beds out of them. So they're carrying, each family is carrying a load of palm branches. And Jesus is telling the disciples, I want to go back there. And he says, so go to this place. And, and as you, when you get there, you're going to see a small colt tied up. He's never been ridden ever before. And, and, and when you get there, I want you to go ahead and bring me that colt. And, and when the owner comes out and says, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Just say, I'm stealing this in the name of Jesus. Y'all didn't know that you could steal in the name of Jesus, did you? Don't try it. You'll still go to jail. But he tells the disciples, go and bring me this colt. And if the, when the owner comes out, just say, Jesus needs it. And they did that. They, come, they went, they, they untie the coat, they start taking off with it. All of a sudden, the owners come out, what are you doing? Jesus needs it. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. They come back to Jesus. Jesus jumps on the coat, and he starts making his way to Jerusalem. And remember, the disciples are so eerie, they're so scared, they're so nervous, because their last visit there didn't turn out too nice, wasn't very good. But as they begin to make their way in, the Jewish people begin to lay down their palm branches. What was going to be their tent, what was going to be their bed, they, they begin to lay them down for this colt that Jesus is riding on, for this little donkey that Jesus is riding on to walk across, to walk over. Then they begin to shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. See, the Jewish people didn't really quite understand who Jesus was. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew Jesus was the Savior. But you see, they thought that Jesus was there to save them from the Roman Empire. They have been oppressed for so many years by the Roman Empire. So as Jesus is riding in, they begin to shout out, Hosanna, save now, save now, save us from the Roman Empire. I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking 
I imagine Peter and the others just kind of going through there like, yeah, awesome. And it didn't take the people long to realize that Jesus wasn't there to save them from the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, it was just a couple of days later. Jesus and the disciples, they're in this garden. It's pitch black. It's night. And the disciples are doing their absolute best to keep up with Jesus because Jesus is praying. And Jesus is praying like fervently and passionately and with everything that he has. And he shows up and the disciples are all like, they're passed out. Jesus says, can you not pray with me at least an hour? Bro, wake up. Jesus goes back to praying. The disciples go back to snoring. But then a little bit later, they begin to see flames at the distance. Torches start coming their way. And they're led by this this man named Judas. He was one of the twelve. He was one of the original twelve disciples. And as, he, and as they arrive to, to Jesus and the other 11 disciples, Judas comes up to Jesus and plants a kiss on his cheek. Because he had told the Roman soldiers, the man that I kiss, he's the one that you want to incarcerate. He's the one that you're after. So he arrives, he gives Jesus a peck on the cheek. Jesus looks at, me, looks at him and he says, with a kiss, you betray me? The Roman soldiers begin to grab at Jesus and Peter, being the brave man that he was, grabs the only sword that they had, lunges and cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers. And Jesus calms Peter down, picks the ear up off the ground and puts it right back on the man and heals him instantly. And at this point, everybody is just amazed. And they grab Jesus, they take him down. Most of you know the story from here. They begin to beat him. They torture him. They make a, a mocking crown. It's a crown of thorns because he declared himself to be the king of the Jews. So they take this crown of thorns and they shove it down on his head. They give him this heavy cross and they they tell him at the top of that hill, that's where you're going to die and you're going to carry the cross up to the top of that hill. And Jesus does his absolute best until a man has to help him. Once he gets up to the top of the hill, they, they drive nails through his hands and through his feet. They lift up the cross. They crucify him. Jesus begins to beg for water and they dip a sponge in vinegar and give it, and give it to his lips. And Jesus says, it's finished. It's done. And he dies. The ground begins to shake and it's a major earthquake that splits the the curtain of the tabernacle which reveals and lets go of the presence of God to fill up all of the earth. And they take Jesus' body down and they go and they put it in this tomb of a rich man who said, here, you can have my tomb for this man, for this innocent man who shed his blood for us. I'll give it to him. And and the Roman soldier said, we've heard the stories and we think the disciples are going to try to take his body and hide it. So we're going to take the biggest, heaviest boulder that we can possibly find and we're going to roll it into the entrance of this tomb to make sure no one can do this. 
And it's three days later when Mary and a group of ladies, they've prepared some spices and some herbs just to, just to help with the scent because, well, rotting carcasses don't smell good. And so they want to take it and, and anoint the tomb to make sure people don't smell his rotting carcass. And on their way, I can imagine them thinking, well, who is going to be strong enough to roll away the stone so that we can even get in? But to their surprise, when they get there, the stone is actually already rolled away. They begin to look around and the tomb is empty except for his clothing folded neatly on on the bed. And when they come back out, they see a couple of angels and the angels tell them, Hey, don't seek the living among the dead. Your Savior has risen. They run back to town and they begin to tell the disciples, Look, this is what happened. We went to anoint his corpse and to anoint the tomb, but he was gone and there were angels there. And they told us that he's gone, that he has been, that he lives again, that he's resurrected. And the disciples say, These sound like fairy tales. This doesn't sound like real life. Kind of sounds like y'all went a little bit heavy on the grape juice there, girls. And it's just a couple of days later. The disciples are there. They're locked up in a room. And they are scared out of their minds. Because they don't know. They don't know what the people is going to do with them. They've been hiding they're locked up in a room. They've got every door, every window closed and closed and bound and make sure nobody can come in, nobody can come out when all of a sudden Jesus appears right there, right among them. And it's incredible. They're astonished. Jesus is here. And they begin asking Jesus questions. They begin eating with Jesus. And there was one man missing. We know him now as Doubting Thomas. Because once Jesus left again, the disciples tell Thomas, man, you will never believe. You remember what the girls said that Jesus had risen? All of that is true. They weren't crazy. It's all true. And we saw him with our own eyes. Thomas says, dude, I won't believe you unless I see with my eyes and until I put my hand, my hands in the, in the holes that he has in his hands and his feet and in the, the scars and the wounds that he has in his ribs, only then will I believe. And it was a week later, exact same scenario, doors closed, they're in this room, isolated, still fearful, still afraid of what somebody else might do or say, and Jesus shows up again. And this time Thomas is there. And Thomas puts his hands in the wounds of Jesus, in his hands and in his ribs. And he believes, and Jesus looks at him and he says, You believe because you have seen. He said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Jesus spends a little bit of time there. The Bible says he actually did so many things that it's it's too much to be recorded in, in, in one book. That if they had to write down everything that Jesus did, that it wouldn't ever even fit. There, there wouldn't be enough books to fit in this world. And then Jesus is gone. And then here are the disciples again, the 11 disciples, because Judas is gone. He hung himself. So here's 11 disciples sitting around in a room, and they're asking the question that I bet so many of us have asked so many times. Now what? 
Now what? They walked with Jesus for three years. They saw him be crucified. They know for a fact that he lives again. But now what? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever just like had something so great, something so good happen to you? And then after it all, you're just like, now what? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you've had things just go so terribly wrong in your life. And it just seems everything is crashing and everything is burning and everything is falling apart. And the only thing you can think of to ask is, now what? This is where the disciples are. They just had all of these incredible and fearful things happen. And they're sitting around, hanging out. And one of them asks, now what? You know what Peter says? Peter says, John chapter 21, verse 3, he says, Hey, I know what. Let's go fishing. Find your Bibles. John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon, this is after all of this, all of these crazy 10, 11, 12, 13 days, whatever it was, just happened. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught, what did, what did they catch? Oh my gosh, they suck at fishing. They caught Nothing. Now what? Let's go back to what is familiar. That's what we do when we don't know what is next. When we don't know what now. We go back to what is familiar. That's what Peter did. That's what the disciples did. What was familiar to them, what they had done their entire lifetime before meeting Jesus up to three years ago. What they had done is they had fished. And so now that they don't know what's next, now that they don't know what to do, what they do is they go back to what is familiar. They go back to fishing. And in life, whenever we don't know what's next, when we don't know what the next step is, most of the times we fall right back into what is familiar. You guys with me? Maybe for some of us, we did have this moment, kind of like what the disciples have had. Just an an amazing, eye-opening, God-moving, God-moment in our lives. And and then once that moment has kind of passed and that moment has ended, we kind of sit around and we ask, now what? What now? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to say? What action should I take? And because we keep asking ourselves over and over and over and we're not sure, we're not clear what the next step is we choose to go back to what's familiar we choose to go back to what happened to what we used to do man I watched this my entire life in church man I've I've been in church my whole life and I saw it over and over and over and over and over and over and then over and over and then again people Lining up the altars, man, and God moving in their lives and God really doing something special in their lives. 
but then it ends right there on that Sunday or on that Saturday or on that Wednesday. And then Monday comes around or that next day, and sometimes it's just that same evening once we leave this building, what happens is we don't know what step to take next, so we go back to what is familiar. What now? Peter says, let's go back to doing what we know what to do. Let's go back to what is familiar. This is what we we need to understand. This is why it's so important for us to get this message down and to understand what is next, what now. Because like Peter, most of us are taking someone with us. When Peter said, hey, I'm going to go back to my old ways and I'm going to go back to being the man that I was once before. I'm going to go back to what is familiar. I'm going to go back to fishing. He didn't go by himself. But the, the rest of the disciples said, hey, hold up, we'll go with you. You see, it's important for you as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, as a child, whatever, whatever stage in life you find yourself, it's important for you to understand what is next in your life. What is the next step to take in your life? Because somebody is going with you. And you will either drag them back to what is familiar or you'll take another step forward in Jesus' name. And it's all up to you. It's all your choice. You know, it does amaze me though that Peter decided to go back to fishing because he's obviously terrible at it. Three years ago, I think that's kind of why he just kind of like got up and left like, yeah, dude, I'm terrible at this anyways. I'll just go ahead and follow you anyway. Three years ago, he's fishing. Jesus shows up. He hasn't caught anything. Jesus says, hey, dude, just throw throw him on that side. He throws them, catches them all. And And then whenever Jesus is gone and he doesn't know what's next, he goes right back into that. Why do we run back to things that hurt us? Why do we run back to things that are no good for us? Why do we do these things? What is there inside of us that just makes us cling to those things that hurt us so badly? Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. And he comes back and he comes back empty handed. You see, this is what happens in your life. Once you have had a true encounter with Jesus, then what once felt good, what once felt right or felt okay, will leave you empty-handed. Once you've had a true encounter with Jesus, what once made you feel good and maybe felt made you feel a little bit alive and made you feel a little bit better about yourself, and once you begin to go back to that familiar thing, you'll find yourself just like Peter, wasting your entire night and nothing to show for it. You'll be empty-handed. You'll be hurt. You'll be in pain, and you'll find that all you did was drag a ton of other people with you. Jesus shows up in verse 4. But when the morning had now come, thank God for mornings. When the morning had had now come, see the Bible says that pain may last through the night, 
But joy comes in the morning. See, Jesus' culture didn't write that lyric. They took it right out of the Bible. Even though pain may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. Thank God for mornings. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Now listen to this. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Just because, and we got to understand this, just because we don't feel anything does not mean Jesus is not there. Just because we don't understand it, just because we can't identify him, does not mean Jesus is not there. The disciples had gone back to what is familiar because they think, well, this was a nice story. This was really cool while it lasted, but now it's all over and we're going to go right back to what we were. Just because they didn't see or because they could not identify Jesus, they didn't know who he was, did not mean that he was gone. Just because you can't identify Jesus moving in your life, just because you can't identify the hand of God in your life, does not mean that he's absent from your life. You guys follow me? It doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's absent. Our emotions should not dictate our faith or obedience our emotions should not dictate our faith or obedience sometimes what happens is we allow emotions to just navigate our entire lives have you ever heard or maybe even received the advice or given the advice hey just follow your heart Right, that sounds so pretty. And it's like on every Hallmark movie ever. Just follow your heart. Oh, but my heart wants this. You know what the Bible says about your heart? The Bible actually says, don't listen to your heart. It's a deceiver. It's a liar. That's what the Bible says. That's good, huh? He's like, I'm going to use that on the girls. Anyways. Oh, you were thinking about that. <laughs> She's going to be like, bro, don't trust your heart, sis. Just, anyway, I'm not going to give you any ideas. Anyways, anyways, anyways. So the Bible actually says, don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart because it's a liar. It deceives you. And so many times we allow our spiritual well-being to be dictated by our emotions. I don't feel like going to church today. Oh, I know that just hurts so many people, man. It's all right if y'all don't want to say amen to that. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like being obedient today. I don't feel like being faithful today. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel, I don't feel, I just don't, you know, I just don't feel it. We should never allow our emotions to dictate our faithfulness or our obedience to Jesus. Those of you that are parents, You don't care if your parents, or if your parents, if your children feel like washing the dishes. 
What if your kid just said, I, I, I just don't feel it today? That, that's, 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 that, that's a really good idea, Dad, but I just don't feel like it. You know, my, my heart's just, you know, my heart's telling me no. You know, it just... <laughs> what? You're crazy. Get to work. Maybe not that hard. So why? If we don't allow our kids to let their emotion, what they feel like doing, like like this is a generation of the feelings, right? If we don't allow our children to dictate their obedience to us based on what they feel like doing, Zion has kind of gotten, gotten this thing, I'm so tired, puppy. I'm so tired, daddy. Hey, Zion, pick up your toys. I'm so tired, daddy. I can't. I'm so tired. I don't care. Pick up the toys. If we don't allow our children to dictate their obedience based on their emotions, why do we allow our emotions to dictate our obedience to Jesus? Don't fall into that trap. Do not fall into the trap of emotion, of hype, of, oh, I just feel like it today. You know, this is such a roller coaster for some people. That's why some people will just like all of a sudden just be so on fire for Jesus and for God. And they're telling everybody and they're singing and their whole playlist on their iPhone or Android, for those of you that are sinners, um, are, are just full of worship songs. They're full of worship songs and they're full of podcasts and, and all of, they're just on fire. But then a week later, they're like, F-bomb this and F-bomb that. And you're like, whoa, hold the brakes, what happened? Oh, it's because I felt like it then. You know, I just, the, you know, I, I just, I just felt something. You know, I, I'm, here, here's a news flash, Okay. Here, here's, here's a news flash. I've always been, like, I'm going to say for the last 12 months, I've always been just as good or just as terrible at preaching as what I am right now. Like, this is where I am, okay? Like, but sometimes you'll walk out and be like, oh, man, that was so good. I felt that. And then sometimes you're like, eh. I, I, I just want to let you know, like, I, I brought the same level. You know, like, I still gave my best. That's so sad. <laughs> you feel bad, huh? Like, I was still right there. What has changed is our feelings. Again, don't allow your feelings to dictate your level of obedience or your faithfulness. Listen to this. Real breakthrough is accomplished through perseverance. Real breakthrough is accomplished through perseverance. God is a God of miracles. Okay? And God throughout the Bible and throughout today has still changed people from night to day, just overnight, just immediately, just a a, a miracle. But for most of us, 
for most of us, is through perseverance. It's through a process. You know, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to say that in the last 18 months, my spiritual life has really increased and done better. And it wasn't just a one night, just overnight, just an over day, just one moment thing. That all of a sudden, boom, here I am like in the clouds with Jesus. It wasn't that at all. And I'm still not there. <laughs> Almost, but not there yet. But it's been through perseverance. You know, it's been, it's, it's been saying no to my struggles over and over and over and over and over again. That's what it is. It's perseverance. That's when real breakthrough happens. It's when you persevere. It's when you get up time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. The Bible says that even though the righteous may fall down seven times, he'll get right back up. He'll get right back up. That's when true breakthrough happens. When we show up when we don't feel like it. When we're obedient when we don't feel like it. We remain faithful even if we don't feel like it. We keep doing even though we don't feel like it. We keep loving and we keep serving. We keep worshiping. We keep reading. We keep coming even when we do not feel like it. Perseverance is what is going to change your life. Quit, mo- quit waiting and quit moaning because it's not happening overnight and just decide that you're going to get up and you're going to stay up and you're going to persevere and you're going to keep walking forward. That's when life change happens. If we keep on reading, we, we, we see... So Jesus says in verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? (laughs) Now Jesus is just making fun of them now. Have you any food? Have you caught anything? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is kind of deja vu. This happened before. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, this is a little weird, but he put on some clothes because he was naked. He put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. So as soon as he finds out, hey, that's Jesus over there, well, he covers up. Thank Jesus for covering up. But then he jumps into the sea And he abandons everything. He leaves everything behind once again to follow Jesus. Listen, we have got to leave some things behind if we're truly going to keep moving forward. There's going to be some things that we're just going to have to abandon. Once Peter knew Jesus was there, he left everything behind to reach him. So here are three choices. Three choices that you have to make today, right now. If you're asking the question, what now? What's next? Now what do I do? These three choices. Number one, choose. You choose. I choose. We choose to be faithful and obedient. We choose faithfulness. We choose obedience. 
Not just when we feel like it, not just when it's easy, not when everything's going right, but we choose to be faithful. We choose to be obedient. Number two is we choose to be persistent. We choose perseverance. We are not going to stop because we know there's somebody behind us. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're 100 years old. I don't care if you're 10 years old. There's someone behind you. There's somebody watching you. There's somebody following you. And that is the best reason to choose perseverance. Because wherever you go, somebody else is going to go. Somebody's behind you following. We choose perseverance. Go ahead and come up here, Josh. The the third choice we make is we choose to burn the boats. We we burn, excuse me, the the boats. In 1519, this conquistador named Hernando Cortez. He's a Spaniard and he comes and he arrives at the shore of Mexico. And he's got somewhere around 600 men with him. And he decides that he and those 600 men are going to conquer a 200-year-old empire, the Aztecs. And 600 men are about to go up against thousands of men. And when they found out, when some of his men found out just how crazy this man was, you know what they decided to do? They said, I'm getting out of here. So they began to plot to get in the boats one night and take off. Somehow, Hernando Cortez finds out that these guys aren't going to be faithful and true to the mission, that they're actually going to be cowards and abandon them. So he orders some of his men to burn and to sink all of the boats except for one. And he told his men, listen, if we're going to go back home, we're going in their boats. You're either going to conquer them or you're going to die. We're not, we're, not, we're not going back. We're not giving up. We're not running away. This is our mission. This is where we stand and this is who we are. So if you thought you were going to run away from this, the boats are burnt. They're sunk. There's no escape. You're either going to conquer or you're going to die. Listen, I want to encourage you to burn the boats in your life. I want to encourage you to have this same mentality, to have this same, this same attitude. You're either going to conquer or you're going to die trying. Whatever boats you have in your life, whatever avenues of going back to what is familiar or what was familiar, whatever, uh, whatever you have that takes you down that path, I encourage you to just cut it off right now. Burn it in the name of Jesus. Be done with it. And you just decide right here, right now, you're going to choose to be obedient, you're going to choose to be faithful, and you're going to choose to persevere. We are not going back. We're not taking another step back. What now? You ask yourself, what now? What's next? Another step forward. That's what's next. I'm not going back. I'm not moving back. 
I'm not going back to what's familiar. I'm not going back to what hurts me and what hurts my family. I'm not going back to that loneliness and that emptiness. I'm not going back to that sin. I'm not going back to what is familiar. I am moving forward. Today I burn the boat and I choose obedience. I choose faithfulness and I will persevere. I'm moving forward. You've got to make that choice this morning for you and for your family. This is the end of the message. For more information, go to www.thermodelchurch.com.